The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give alms, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action, have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. Dear Lord, you love us so much that you speak with us. You speak good news. Help us listen to the challenges that come from you and to embrace the promises that you make. Help us as we hear these challenges and promises to live them together. In your name we pray. So I'm going to do something I've never done as a preacher. And I've been doing this for more than 45 years. It's got to be exciting, right? If the preacher starts out that way, right? It's got to be exciting, and it is, because... For the next Sundays, I'm with you, I'm here through the end of August, I am going to preach on the readings that come from the letter to the Hebrews. Isn't that exciting? A sermon series on Hebrews. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I want to do it now. It's really because I've been thinking a lot about my grandson, Sam, who is two years old. He's going to be three in September. And as long as everything goes well, Lord willing, he's going to have a little sister at the end of October. Sam is two, almost three. He's a big guy for his age. He talks a mile a minute. Uh, his dad was born in Moscow and came to this country when he was two. His parents fled the Soviet Union. Um, and so his dad, although his dad speaks perfect American English without an accent, his dad speaks nothing but Russian to him. 
and my daughter speaks nothing but English to him, so already at this point the kid is bilingual, and he moves back and forth between these languages so easily. He loves to read, he, is, he loves to get his hands in the dirt. He loves dirt, not just his hands in the dirt, everything in the dirt. He's a great guy and I love him. If he is blessed with long life, in the year 2100, he will be 81 years old. In the year 2100. Think about that for a moment. Some of you may well be in that neighborhood of around 80. Think about what the world will be like in 2100. Now every one of us walks through the journey with all kinds of joys and sorrows that call upon our courage, that call upon our love in all kinds of ways. I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy, but I'm very concerned about our world, our country, where we are at right now. This past week, I was drinking my coffee in the morning, I opened up the Boston Globe, and in the Metro page, there was an article about some town meetings in Plymouth, Plymouth, Massachusetts. There's a closed nuclear plant just outside of Plymouth, closed, I don't remember, 10, 15 years ago anyway. And uh, the company that now manages this closed facility has proposed disposing of one million gallons of radioactive water that was a byproduct of the plant's operation by dumping one million gallons of radioactive water into the bay. The year 2100, we can't know what that will be like, can we? But when I listen to the news, when I wake up and it's already 90 degrees in the morning, we have no air conditioning in our house. I sure wonder what it's going to be like for Sam and what it's going to take for him to become an old man. He's an aspiring old man right now. And I hope and pray that he will get there. What's it going to take? Well, one of the things I know it's going to take is Christian community. One of the things I know it's going to take for him to get there is a strong circle of people who gather around hope and strive to live that out. And we call that this living out of hope in Jesus' name, we call that the church. I preach every Sunday almost somewhere else, and I see a real tired church. Everywhere I go, I see a tired church. 
I heard Cheryl's wonderful announcement this morning, her invitation to take up some work. And it's important work to take up. How weary are you, friends? How weary are you as a congregation? Can you hear Cheryl's invitation and take it up together? Or is there some part of you that hears that as one more thing to do in a context where we're so worried about the future of our congregation and the future of the church that we may start wondering, is it really worth spending the time? That's why we need to listen to the letter to the Hebrews. We are just the kind of people for whom that letter was written, friends. If you, most of us have not become very familiar with Hebrews. It's not a letter. It's not really a letter at all, although we call it that. It's a sermon. In fact, the preacher, towards the end of Hebrews, calls it a word of encouragement. And that is what we need right now. As you read through the letter, or read through Hebrews, you will hear that this is a congregation which is tired. She is preaching to a congregation which is tired. They are tired of, uh, they're tired of worship. They're tired of Christian education. They're tired of council meetings. They are tired of figuring out how to serve the world, the world around them and the world beyond. They are tired of spiritual struggle. They are tired of, of even maintaining a life of prayer. They're tired of Jesus. And this preacher digs into the well of hope found in Scripture, found in the Old Testament. She digs into the story of Jesus for hope, and she goes gold mining there. And what she comes up with is a word of encouragement so powerful that it sings across 20 centuries to us this morning. And I invite you, sisters and brothers, to hear what she has to say, because it is so important. She begins with that powerful word. Now, now, what we get to hear, by the way, over these Sundays in August, only Sundays that we're going to hear from Hebrews, we get to hear the, the, the kind of conclusion of the whole thing. We're going to hear selections from chapters 11, 12, and 13. She begins with that famous word, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance, and what she means by that, the word sitting behind that, faith is both an interior 
kind of experience of assurance, but at the same time, it's more than that. It is an exterior response. Faith is the kind of trust in God's promises that acts on those promises. And in order to preach her sermon at this point, what she does is she lifts up examples of people who have lived this faith. She lifts up examples of, of folks like, well, 18 people. She lifts up examples of 18 people and concludes this long list of heroes who have lived by faith with Jesus. And among these 18 are people we know, people like Abraham, people like Sarah, people like Noah, people like Moses. But then there are lots of heroes that she points to we probably don't know. Barak not the president, the former president. Rahab, Jephthah, people we don't know. But these were all people who knew that their final destination was just over the horizon, beyond their sight, but who trusted in God to guide them there. Their, their trust became courage in the face of struggle, their faith became endurance in the face of obstacles. And instead of retreating, they stepped forth in faith. She lifts these people up because every single one of them was captured by a faith that looked to the future, just beyond, just over the horizon with the confidence that the same God who loved them yesterday is waiting for them on the other side of the horizon. They relied on each other as they journeyed. I think that the church is an experiment, a kind of petri dish in which God is at work fashioning a new humanity, fashioning a new humanity for the sake of this world God loves so much. God created this world for shalom, for love, for, the, for life. This community, this petri dish, new humanity, is God's tool within the creation to move it forward, just beyond the horizon, into something we cannot yet see. For us to get there together, we need to live from the kind of faith which is trust plus obedience the kind of faith by which Jesus lived. And we can do it, not because we're so good, not because we're such spiritual athletes. We can do it because we do it in the strength of Jesus, 
who walked that path ahead of us and walks among us still. My grandson needs us. He needs congregations like this one so that along the path of his life with all of its joys and sorrows, he will find a community of people who know the resilience that God inspires by walking with Jesus. You may be tired. I get tired. But you know what you do? You take a good nap. You get up in the morning. If you wake up on this side of the dirt, you say, thank you, Lord. What you got for me to do today? Let's encourage one another, just as that preacher encouraged that congregation so long ago. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.